Uh, good afternoon. I'm here with uh, John, the owner of Feast Sandwich Shop in East Greenwich, Rhode Island. And John, unless your last name is Feast, I don't know it. So could you tell me what it is? The last name is Sepulveda. Oh um, boy, I wish it was yeah. Feast. That would be a lot easier. <laughs> much easier. Yeah. And I'm the co-owner. You know what? I will interview Mitchell next so as to make sure he does not feel left out because he is crushing his fall plaid and I'm very impressed by that look. Uh, John, tell me about the business. How long you guys have been here? So we're in our second year uh, with Fee Sandwich Company um, in this iteration. I This is actually, a lot of people don't know, this is my seventh restaurant that I've owned overall. Um, through the mid-2000s, I did uh, restaurants with my brother. Uh, they were called Feaster Famine. Uh, and where were they located? Warren, Cranston, North Providence, Providence. Um, Park Avenue, Main Street, and Warren. Um, during the economic downturn, when the housing market crashed, people stopped going out to eat. We, <laughs> we sold all those restaurants, and uh, I met Mitchell. We started working together at Patty's Beach Club in West Hollywood. It's fun to get. Uh, I was the executive chef, he was my sous chef. And then, throughout the, over the course of five years, he was, when we ended there, he was my equal. We were co chefs. And then we decided to. Uh, give it one more go. We took a look at uh, various areas and what we thought would be a good spot to um, open a restaurant. And I found East Greenwich and I found Main Street, and I knew that uh, this is an area that could sustain the quality that we want, the price points that we want. And we started looking. And before we had a concept, really, we started looking. Um, this is the third location that we were that we looked at. We were originally going to be in either Norman's Tap House. Or what was at the time Lydia's Kitchen, now Clementine's. Okay. Those were the first two we looked at, uh, and then we saw this one, which was Crosby's Cafe at the time. Like the parking situation, like the size of this restaurant, uh, decided on it, uh, signed the lease, and then built the concept. Uh, and whose idea was the concept? So it's kind of a mesh of. It actually worked out really good. It's a mesh of Mitchell and I's personalities. Uh, Mitchell is a lot of people also know. He's like a professional level skateboarder competed in Converse tournaments and Vans tournaments and uh, we took some of that skate influence, uh, some of that tattoo shop influence, uh, blended with my love of pop culture and movies and wrestling and television. Be kind of, a lot of discussion about wrestling <laughs> as we go on here. Okay. So we started looking at what was already on Main Street and we were looking for a hole. And the idea was we would just plug that hole and we should find success. So we spent two weeks down here going to every restaurant and eating and meeting people and seeing what existed. And um, what we wound up with was so obvious that originally I didn't even, I didn't even consider that it didn't already exist. Um, originally, I, I came up with a faux noodle concept. And I was like, okay, we'll do uh, like a ramen bar. Because um, that didn't exist down here. No. And then we just kind of said, wait a second. Did we see gourmet sandwiches and burgers anywhere on that street? In East Greenwich. In East Greenwich, and we realized that didn't exist. And we're like, well, that's way easier. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you took the easy way out and came up with gourmet so, sandwiches. Yeah, so, yep. we, so we pivoted away from uh, anything that was kind of on the, on the spectrum of, of acceptable, and we kind of settled into our groove of taking classic things and giving them our personal twists. What is your training as a chef? 
Uh, so I started working in kitchens when I was 14 years old. Well, I think that's uh, illegal. Just it so is. You know, but uh, but okay. they paid cash. So well, there you go. Uh, I dishwashed. Uh, I went to, I was actually fortunate enough, the town that I grew up in had a, uh, a Boax high school. So everybody who went to school worked. Uh, and that was a, a 50% of our grade was the job that we did to keep the school sustainable. We had okay. an agricultural department, we had a mechanical department that worked in the school buses, we had a robotics department. Um, I worked in the food service department. And where was that school located? Uh, Wallingford, Connecticut, Lyman Hall High School. Oh, all right. So, most of my high school time was building college credits towards um, food service and that we would cook the school's lunches, we would cater all the teachers' events, um, and we essentially, when I went to school in the morning, we'd do classes in the morning and then in the afternoon we would work. Um, and I built college credits up, uh, wound up working that, plus I always had another job in a restaurant. Um, and. The, the big difference between me and a lot of people is that I didn't inherently have a passion for cooking. It's just what my older brother did. Um, so I followed exactly his trajectory. He did food service, I did food service. He went to culinary school, I went to culinary school. Um, and I just kind of, I, I, I went through cult, the culinary program there, I went through a, a very short stint, the culinary program in Johnson, Wales, and I wound up at Manchester Tech in Connecticut because they had an awesome culinary program. Um, completed that, and then I just started working. I uh, have probably worked in 50 kitchens with 10,000 co-workers in my life, and uh, I never did anything else. I worked for Verizon for a week, hated it, <laughs> went back to cooking. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do for Verizon? Uh, so, I was working in a kitchen and uh, somebody told me, hey, a friend of mine worked at Verizon, he's like, hey man, why don't you just do this, it's a lot less work and it's customer service in a in a uh, retail store. And I was, he's like, I'll get you the job. And I was like, great. And I went there and it was like, blow your brains out situation. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and cook. So there I started you go. cooking. And I just kept my head down and cooked. And, uh, I initially uh, I spent most of my time in Italian kitchens and then I did French and then uh, fine dining and then um, northern Italian cuisine with a focus on uh, wood grills um, and then I started taking an interest in Caribbean and Caribbean foods, um, barbecue and smoking foods and uh, by the time I got to Patty's Beach Club the way it worked there was we would create restaurants within restaurants and I was able to use that entire toolbox to make different concepts. Um, so if you see the specials that we do here, you'll, you'll notice that they're not necessarily centered on one specific thing because I have a very wide range that I cover. All right, now I have two questions about the menu. Sure. Okay, first of all, who comes up with most of the ideas for the, the food that you do serve? And why the heck was Sriracha Sunrise taken off the menu? I can answer both of those questions. I'm so, glad that you can. Mitchell and I collaboratively come up with our menu. Um, sometimes it just starts with a conversation that has nothing to do with it, but it's kind of like, you know what would be funny? if uh, We'll be in a grocery store and we'll see a box of Uncrustables. Like, How come nobody's ever done that? Let's do that. Let's just be stupid and ridiculous. And then, by the next day, there's a fantastic dish built around the conversation where we, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Smoke a little weed. Now. <laughs> next, thing you, next thing you know, <laughs> you got a burger. <laughs> you got an idea. All right. You got an idea. Well, now, I enjoyed the sriracha sunrise, as you're well aware, and that yes. has been removed from the menu, and I would like an explanation. So, before I give you the explanation, I have to set the record straight. The name of the dish was the sriracha sunset. <laughs> you well, now, now I feel badly. Yeah. All right. But, you know what I'm talking about. Don't dodge the question. So, so I mean, that has nothing. To, it, it was a good dish. Um, tasted good. It was one of their original dishes that we wrote. Um, but you can't always do everything for passion. Sometimes it becomes business. And uh, the numbers on that dish just didn't warrant a spot on our menu. So it was replaced with uh, a dish called the Steel City which is now our best-selling individual item. Don't, don't rub it in, <laughs> I, I understand. But what if someone lives within like a half a mile of the place and I made, comes here I made one last night. Oh. Um, we'll make them. Uh, okay. We have all the components to make it. It's just not worth the ink to print it or <laughs> the return that we get from it. Well, that makes me feel really badly, but I'll have one before I go. Uh, the other thing that you guys are very well known for is doing unusual events. Yes. Uh, I don't want to say it was the greatest day of my life, the, the day that there was wrestling in the Feast parking lot, but it was in the top ten. So tell me who comes up with those ideas and what do you think is going to happen in the future? So again, everything that you see here is generally something that just starts with a conversation between Rachel and I. He's not only is he my business partner, he's my absolute best friend. There, he, he's, I have three brothers. When I get married, Mitch will be my best man. That's how close we are. I'm assuming I'm in second in line. Yeah. Like some sort of illness befalls Mitchell. I'm there. <laughs> yeah, you're my backup. Player. Okay, thank you. Um, so we. The way that I like to describe it is that the reason why our name is Fee Sandwich Company isn't because we're a sandwich company. That's almost a diversion. It's we're a speakeasy. Because you think you're coming into Subway, or you think you're coming into Jersey Mike's, and what you realize is, hey, this isn't actually a sandwich shop. This is much, much more than that. And we never want to stop trying uh, and become complacent. And all right, we do what we do, and we, we're going to generate this much, and it's going to be we can we can project it out for life where you're going to wind up. We don't want to become complacent and not do things. And at some point, we. We're, we're very fortunate that we can now, uh, we, we're busy enough and we're popular enough and we have a big enough uh, social media following that we can uh, begin to work on things that aren't necessarily designed for profit but are designed for fun and for social media buzz and for a personal bucket list. Um, so I've been a wrestling fan since I was, since my earliest memories. And I've never in my life been in a position where I could actually promote and host a wrestling show. And Most of us have. Yeah. yeah. And when that opera, and when you know that idea was floated, why not? What what's the drawback to doing it? It may, maybe you lose money. You don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. We didn't. Um, <laughs> so do we open up? You know the. Every business should have a marketing budget, um, and you can you can put out that budget however you see fit. But you should always do it with what you expect to be a good return. Print media is dead. You're not going to get a return from advertising in a magazine or a newspaper or on a website anymore because people only use really three websites, four websites these days. Um, so 
even digital marketing is a thin medium. I'm assuming um, podcasting is a giant market that you will well, let you make a ton of yeah. money. Well, now I know I've made it. <laughs> because Pat is sitting at one of my tables with, the, with a blue pen. This is the, the high point of your career. Yeah. Wow. Well, don't retire today because I won't have anywhere to go. But all right. Yeah, but anyway, so you so you say, okay, we're going to spend X dollars. Now, we've... We do things like sponsor end of summer and Chamber of Commerce and the East Greenwich Rumble and we'll continue to do those things because they're community boosting things but at this point in the game those don't necessarily, they're not boomerang investments. I'm not throwing money out in the world expecting to bring money back because I'm only advertising to my current customer base at that point. But if we can find new things um, and it's not buying a billboard, that's not going to do anything. But if I can do something that'll get people talking, and from those conversations comes a visit, and from that visit comes another conversation about it, well then we've, we've created a kind of grassroots marketing, not centered around advertising or selling you anything. The wrestling show is completely free to come to. We required nothing from anybody to do it, um, but we had 250 people here for that show. Um, who, who I didn't recognize, and that was the big thing. If I throw up a banner on a baseball field, I'm gonna recognize those people when they come in. But if I can figure out a way to now advertise to them, and that I'm supporting them because they support us, so that's also very important, but if I can create a way to find new faces, um, that's what wrestling, stand-up comedy, um, we're thinking about doing a, um, a uh, outdoor skateboarding event here, like a competition to try and bring people in, and a Super Smash Brothers video game tournament. Uh, like those type of things, if I can appeal to a different niche or different demographic, or even a, a, a niche of a niche, and it brings people out here. Like with the Rhode Island food fights that we've done, um, I, I have a very strong um, philosophy that all I need a person to do a lot of people who do print ads and um, various things, I feel like that's a way to hide your business. To say, okay, here's a coupon. So now I've hidden everything, but now you're gonna come here for this deal. My idea is once you walk through my door, I now have an opportunity and you're gonna be my customer because we have a great product, we're great people, you have fun when you're here. Um, and if I, all I have to do is get you in. So if, I'm, if, if I get you in by you being a food fighter and you get a free burger walking in the door, or if I get you in by putting wrestling in the parking lot, or if I get you in by whatever I do to get you in, in the door, I'm going to acquire you. I would have to say you're probably the only restaurant in East Greenwich looking actively for the wrestling crowd. So I think you probably <laughs> nailed it that day. Yeah, well, we're looking actively for every crowd. Um, I can guarantee you, so I'm, I'm also very big on... On, on math and, and data and the aggregation of data and being a nerd, I can guarantee you we're the only restaurant in East Greenwich that has a 70% out of town customer base. Are you telling me that there's people who don't live within a half mile that come here? I'm telling you, all of those people come here plus people from, from out of town come here. And how do you track that? I track it through your credit card. Oh, okay. With, the, ad with the, the linked address on your credit card. So, and my software does it for me. I just look at the metrics at the end of it. Are um, you doing any advertising out of town or we any do, events we have, out of town? We do zero advertising other than our different events. Um, a, a big portion of our advertising is us actively competing in things. Um, 
because I feel like if we win them, then we open up that the entire audience of whoever's hosting that competition. Like with Rhode Island Food Fights, we're 3-0 and in Food Fights, uh, undefeated against 74 restaurants. And the best of Rhode Island. Best of Rhode Island. I think is, you guys did pretty well there. We won five this year, three the previous year. Um, those things open us up to that audience. So instead of me just saying, you know, we get pitched things all the time. Oh, advertising our magazine, our readership is, you know, 35,000. And it's like, yeah, you drop off a stack of those magazines here every week, and I take them and I say hi and I clean my windows and I put them in the dumpster. And, you know, or they sit at Dave's Marketplace in the, in the you know, like, there's not an action. Just because you drop off 35,000 papers doesn't mean, mean that there's a, a readership. Um, but there is, you know, I know that I have. 10,400 people that I can reach through my Instagram at any point in time. And if I can tap into whatever it is that those people enjoy, then I'm going to acquire them and all of their friends. And there's nobody who doesn't like something that we do here. Whether they like our beer selection, or they like our food, or they like the fact that we have craft sodas, or that we source everything locally, they're going to like something here. And that's going to be what gets it. Now, I, I don't want to uh, direct your business in any way, but I'm a big fan of some of the beers that you have here. Mm -hmm. And before you guys opened, I had never tried beer before, so I thank you for that. <laughs> and I've really come on strong with it. Who, who is behind the push to have different kinds of beers here? Because it's an amazing selection in a very <laughs> small space. So, I've done the beer, um, and I, I will I'll give you a Pat's Radio Ball exclusive. Oh, no. I like <laughs> I actually hate beer, personally. Oh, no. <laughs> well, this interview's over, and I hope the place burns down. <laughs> yeah. um, I... When we first got our liquor license, I did what everybody does. I got Bud Light, I got Bud Light Lime, I got uh, a couple of craftier things, but I didn't know what my line. I didn't know what. I didn't have a diverse lineup or anything. And um, I have always been like a Miller High Life drinker type of guy, something like that. So um, we bought the liquor license, and just through doing industry research, I knew that. Um, beer and wine should make up about 30% of your sales. Um, so then I started looking at the impact that beer and wine had on our sales, and it was only like 8 or 12% of our sales. So I, I kind of said, all right, well, maybe it's not Bud and Bud Light that are going to do this. Um, and then I said, all right, well, Maybe I should know something about beer going to sell it. I know every food product that we have here cold. I can tell you, I can answer any question anybody could possibly ask about any piece of food in here. But I don't know the difference between an APA and an IPA. Or, or so, am I ordering the right stuff? Am I offering the right lineup? Um, and then I said, thought to myself, if I can figure out how to get that number above thirty percent, which is industry standard. Well, then I'm creating revenue without the need to have labor behind it and overhead behind it and, you know, gas and oil and all that stuff. So I decided to immerse myself in learning about craft beer. And I kind of just got deep into that culture through just reading and then um, contacting people from local breweries and finding out about hops. And um, over the course of, like, up until now, from the, over a year now, I... While I was never a fan of beer, I became a student of it. Um, so do you drink beer now? Or so the, the funny thing that happened throughout this process is my, my whole life thinking that beer was disgusting. Like, 
I'll drink whatever tastes the closest to soda that will get me drunk. And then I started... Don't put that on a bumper sticker, <laughs> yeah, right. but okay, go on. <laughs> but then I started learning about things like, you know, Galaxy Hops versus Citra Hops versus Mosaic Hops. And, you know, the process of making a porter versus a stout and, and all of these different things that I really immersed myself in learning just so that I could make sure the restaurant had a really good beer lineup. And through that process, I began to appreciate the craftsmanship that was behind the beers and really gain an appreciation for the art form that other people were executing. And at that point, I started enjoying the beers because it's not just the beer, it's the story of the beer enhances the taste of the beer. So like, um, I've got, I won't drink a butter or, Life, or a Miller High Life now. Um, I look for whites and wits and Belgians, <clears throat> and I like that wheelhouse of beer. Um, and that spectrum seems to be growing for me until right now I'm like starting to introduce IPAs and I know what kind of hops I enjoy the flavor of. And as I've learned about beer, I, it, that learning process has kind of opened up my palate to, to be more accepting of it. And uh, now where we're at is I feel like I have a pretty strong knowledge base and our beer lineup I feel like is great. Well, I think your beer lineup is excellent. I, I, I have to say that. I also have to say that Bud Light is a big sponsor of the podcast. So <laughs> dilly dilly and uh, disregard everything you said. What is your most popular beer here when I'm not here? Uh, so we have our own branded beers. We have four of them now. We started with just one, which was Feast Grassroots Lager. Uh, we call it the Grassroots. Uh, Mitchell and I named all the beers. It's called Grassroots because that's how we've campaigned when we came in here. Um, We've grown everything grassroots. We bootstrapped this entire uh, operation. Um, so that's just a classic golden lager that's generally on draft, um, unless we run out of it really quick. And then we did a summer shandy, which is a blueberry shandy. That was called Feast, that's what she said, shandy. Um, and then for the winter, we just introduced our IPA, which is Feast Turnbuckle IPA, because we're such wrestling fans. Um, and that was our fastest selling beer ever. And that's um, gone now. That beer was gone, so I I actually have it back in stock upstairs. I'm just waiting for something to, to kick so I can put it back on. Um, well, you heard him. Let's get but, down here and kick a keg of something else so we can get the Turnbuckle <laughs> IPA back on. Previously, with all of our beers, the metric was in days. So, oh, we kicked lunch in a day. We kicked Kentucky bourbon in two days. With Turnbuckle, the metric became hours. So, oh, we kicked Turnbuckle in three hours. It's like, okay. And where does that, where does Turnbuckle come from? It comes from Harpoon. So Harpoon does all of our custom beers, but they do it to our specs. A lot of people are like, oh, it's just a Harpoon rebranded beer. It's not. Uh, we commit to purchasing an entire batch of beer. So essentially all we're doing is leasing their equipment from them for the cost of the batch of beer. So they, um, they're immediately selling 60 kegs of beer and all they're doing is to us because they're customizing it for us. Where do you, you don't have it all on site, do you? No, so it goes to our distributor and our okay. distributor brings it as needed. Okay. So I reach out to my contact at Harpoon and I say, okay, this is what we want. We're looking for uh, a shandy with blueberry extract, lemon zest, some coriander, a little sea salt. Um, at these ratios, make the beer. And then what I get back is these branded beer. So we have, we have the IPA, the Shandy, the Lager, and uh, Feast Ridge Porter, um, which is our, our first move into porters, and that's a beer that I request to be cold smoked. So it's cold smoked with apple beer. Um, 
No, that sounds it, wonderful. It, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. But there's a certain group of people. It's, it's fantastic, too. Some people hate onions. Some people love them. My daughter eats them like apples. I won't touch them. Um, it's called Rich Porter because our longest running employee here, his name is Rich Porter. His last name is Porter. His first name is Rich. Made sense. Um, so when are we introducing the Pat Bristol IPA? Is that year three? So, so we were actually looking at this just recently because uh, one of our customers, Earl B. Nichols, has a commemorative bar seat, and Earl was the first customer to hit 1,000 beers drank here. What you have to understand is that Earl found us in June. Well, Earl, I, I feel badly for your lip. He, wow. he, he was not a customer prior to that. I bring in three kegs a week, earmarked for him. It's a specific beer that only he drinks, um, and he goes through. This is all making me feel a lot better about my alcohol intake, so I thank you for that. Um, but there is, so so you guys fall under a classification that we aggregate the data of the dads. Oh. So the dads are actually our third biggest beer drinkers here. Oh. Geez. And there's one more individual. Oh, oh no. It goes who, um, Earl, another person, and then us? The other person, we call him Sexy Santa. His name is Ed. I think he's actually a neighbor of one of the dads. Yes, he is. Um, he's on a quest to hit a thousand beers. He's at eight hundred and seventy-nine. How, now, how do you keep track of that? I'm sorry. I, I'm so horrified <laughs> by the fact that my beer drinking is out there for your knowledge. So I'm, I'm in third place. I've really got to pick up my game. So all, it's all done through customer database. Everybody pays with a card now, so it's all tracked for me. Wow. Wow, that makes me feel awful. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, glad yeah. that all the other dads pay when I come to yeah, so that's why so you guys are collectively grouped as the dads. We're going to really have to pick up our game. Yeah, well, Jeff only weighs like 40 pounds. He can't drink a lot. Yeah, so. but surprisingly, I feel like Jeff drinks the most out of this. I would like to, I would like that recorded <laughs> and uh, I would like to share uh, that with everyone immediately. Jeff is the only guy who will drink a beer no matter what it tastes like. If he hates it, he will choke it. That is true. And I, I couldn't do that. And he will because he, he views it as such an egregious waste of, of product. But it's not enjoyable. I, if I had a bucket of antifreeze in my garage, even though it's going to get wasted, I'm not going to drink it. Yeah. Well, invite Jeff over. Yeah, he is. We call him the dumpster he, for a reason. Will, one night I remember specifically, you guys bought a Revival Larkin's Ice Fight. The Nitro. Oh, God. And yeah. everybody thought it was terrible. And I was I was just going to throw it away, and he would not. He, he's... It took him 20 minutes and he sipped it and he's like, oh, it's awful, oh, it's awful. And he sipped it again and it's like, why would you do, why would you cause physical pain over something that's ultimately a $4 loss? <laughs> oh, gosh. This isn't my new favorite part of this interview, making fun of Jeff. Jeff, I apologize. I, I did, that was not planned. All right, it was. Happy birthday. Um, so what do you think the future holds for the restaurant? I don't know. Um, there's a lot of different directions we can go in. Uh, and it really comes down to a balance of quality of life uh, versus how hard we're willing to work to grow and how fast. Um, Mitchell's young. He's 26 years old. He's got... 26 years old? Yes. He's 26 years old and he's a very successful restaurateur. And Everything about this is making me feel badly. Uh, me? I'm, I'm significantly older than that. 107, I'm yeah. guessing. Yeah, I'm 98. Wow. Um, no, I'm, 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 I'll be 40 next year, uh, which doesn't sound old. But 
kitchen years are a little bit harder than, than, than <laughs> hard living back yes, there. Yes, yes. It's, it's very hard, hot. It's, it's hot. It's hard work. It's, um, and I have a daughter. Uh, she'll be 10. And uh, I've never in my entire life had a weekend off. Uh, from the moment I started working, I've never had a weekend off. Uh, we took a vacation in the beginning of September. It was my we went on a cruise. We went on a yeah, cruise. It was very sad. It was, it was my first vacation in 17 years. Uh, so, I would like to reclaim some of that quality of life over money at this point. Uh, I would like to spend time with my daughter while she's young. Uh, I would like to enjoy uh, aspects of life that I've kind of worked through spending time with family and uh, holidays. You know, restaurants, big, busiest times are holidays and weekends, and we don't get to spend that time with our families. So I can't pitch the idea of being open on Thanksgiving morning? I'll be here. Okay. I'll be here. Good. Good. Um, I will be too. Because this isn't a plan that goes into action today, um, but when, speaking of the growth of Feast, and you know, it would not be hard for us to go and open up three or four more locations. We actually, We've turned down multiple offers at this point um, that were really hard to turn down. But what you look at is we know that ultimately the work to do those things falls on us and our team's shoulders. And we know that we already work to uh, what would be considered capacity for any normal person. And I just don't know that the money is worth the trade-off. I can't take any of it with me. I'm comfortable with what we make. If I open up three more of these, and yeah, now I'm making X more dollars a year, but I'm working 90 hours a week, what's the point? What am I working? What am I working toward? You know, in early retirement, what do, who cares? At that point, my daughter will be in her 30s and living her own life anyway. And yeah, so I retired 10 years before my dad retired, and do what? You know, spend that time alone? Watch wrestling, yeah. Um, I would rather focus on what we're doing now, do it excellent, and spend more time with the people who are important to me, and who cares? Like, my bills are paid, who cares? No. I like that very much. Yeah. That is a very good idea, and you don't look 40 or 39. <laughs> That's because I hang out with 22-year-olds, so I dress like I'm 22. So I'm actually one of those weirdo guys. And how are you at skateboarding? Uh, I did not know this about Mitchell. This is another fascinating topic to talk about. So, but I'll talk about that with Mitchell. But I'm terrible at skateboarding, but I can what would hoverboard. Be your... Oof, I can hoverboard. I, I'm so old, I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> what is hover? Those things, the things that you stand on oh, yeah. and they move around. Oh yeah. When Toys R Us was going out of business, I went sick. If you, that's oh, yeah. not a skill. That's just a no, no. <laughs> if you said unicycling or something along those lines. Uh, so what, what I don't really so my thing other than yeah. cooking and running a fabulous restaurant and buying amazing beers and uh, bringing Joey Ryan to a parking lot in East Greenwich what would be your talent that no one knows about <laughs> so when I was a teenager I was a magician oh, <laughs> oh, no. oh no oh no what I'm sorry a magician yeah so my I wanted to be I wanted to be two things in life I wound up being neither of those two things. I wanted to be a magician, and oh. I wanted to be a lawyer. Oh. <laughs> well, as a, as a magician lawyer, I would say you made the right decision not going into either of those, but what? 
Yeah. You wanted to be a magician? I am really good at magic. <laughs> what? Oh my god. Now I want to talk to you for another hour and a half. What do you. Okay. Sleight of hand. What is Card your trick, best like that. trick? Really? Yeah, yeah. Like that close card? up? Yeah, close up. No, that doesn't, that doesn't translate well onto podcasting. It doesn't translate but, well. Okay, let me. Well, now this is going to get really off topic, but did you see America's Got Talent this I did, year? I did. Okay, and you saw that gentleman with the cards in his yeah, hand? Yeah, yeah, he was really good. Yeah, do you know how he did any of that? I can do all of that stuff. Not not necessarily those particular tricks, but I can I can do card manipulation. And stuff well, like I, I don't want to tell you what to do with your business, but <laughs> if you want to draw interest, I will be here every day if you, watch, if you do that. I do do it sometimes. I do it for kids. Um, well, I'm a child at heart, despite yeah. my gray goatee. So, I'm much sometimes younger. I do it, and then there was... A, there was um, Funny, the Odium did a, like a, a talent show down there, and a bunch of the guys came in eight, and they had decks of cards, and I just kind of stepped in. And that's like I like to keep that in my back pocket without telling anybody because it's more mind blowing when I do break it out. Yeah, I feel like I've spoiled it now, but now for I for you and it. for the three people who want, listen to past podcast. It's well, <laughs> I wouldn't say three. Me and you are two, and we'll make Mitchell listen and Jeff because he's got to learn that you just outed him as the biggest drunk in town. Uh, Wow, magician. That yeah. is the best answer to that question ever. Yes. Lawyer is definitely the worst answer to that question. Yeah, yeah. How about this? I'll come to the restaurant and do law, and you can do card tricks at the same time. Well, I'll 100% need a lawyer. There's not much chance anybody ever needs a magician. Wow. Those are worse. <laughs> I'm going to go home and redo my business card. <laughs> Someday you may need me, but you'll never need a magician. Yeah. Wow. Well, truly words to live by there. All right. Well, now we're going to wrap it up. Sure. I want to thank you for your time. Of course. That was yeah. genuinely fascinating. <laughs> and not just the magician part, but that was the most fascinating part. And I would encourage everyone to come to Feast. Earl does not need any encouragement. He'll be here. Sexy Santa will be here. And more than likely, the group of dads will be here. And uh, please just tell us when the next wrestling event will be. So... People are scheduling this. People are bothering me about it. I don't actually work here. People act as if it's not November right now. Everybody wants to know when the next outside parking lot wrestling event is going to be. It's going okay. to right. be in the summer. Okay. <laughs> That's a very depressing end. It's going to get dark. It's dark now. When is the next out-of-the-box event going to be? So with the wrestling, we've, we've agreed to do it annually with those guys. So uh, we'll do an annual event with them. Um, the next outside-the-box event that we're... We just did our stand-up comedy. Um, I am working on... So... I'm an ordained minister uh, to the Universal Life Church. Stop making me feel badly about the things I can't do. Uh, so I'm going to organize a Renew Your Wedding Vows event here. It was an idea that was floated by one of the dads because I can actually do it. And I've, I've done it before. Um, we've got a trivia night coming, but we have a Jeopardy Invitational, uh, a video game tournament, Super Smash Brothers. Uh, we've got a paint night, craft and, and paint, craft beer and paint. Uh, music bingo is something that we're looking at doing. Um, when I win the Jeopardy event, can I wear the wrestling? Belt? You can, you can, you can wear the belt anytime you want. Just I, go up there, just grab it, and put it on. Well, that makes it seem less important <laughs> than it actually is. But when I so, win Jeopardy, will you put it on me, and I can run around the parking lot? Absolutely. So okay. all of those ideas that I have just mentioned, the only ones that really get me excited are a Jeopardy. 
because it's better than trivia. Because I'll win. Yep. And the renewing of the marriage vows because they're different ideas. A lot of people do trivia night and pay night and karaoke. Yeah. Um, that's just not who we are. When the ideas come to us to do something different, we're going to 100% do it. Um, a street skateboarding contest is something no restaurant is doing. We already have the rails. They told us we had to put up rails on our patio so that nobody trips, so we put up skate rails. So people will extra trip. <laughs> I never knew why those were here, and I have tripped over them several times. So thank you, and you'll be hearing from my lawyer. Uh, my lawyer is Pat Bristol, so give him a He's call. He's the best. <laughs> He's the best in the well, insurance game. There. <laughs> I didn't come here to be insulted. Yeah, so I mean, out of the box ideas, well, your best bet is to always follow us on Instagram at VCG. Uh, things will always go there first. Um, that's a direct line of contact between what we're doing and when we're doing it. Um, that people should be taking advantage of at all times. It's something that you should probably check daily because we put up fresh content daily. But if you don't have time to, check it out. Every time you're like, hey, what are we going to do this week or weekend? Take a look at our Instagram because chances chance are we got something going on. Something weird is happening at Feast. Absolutely. And I hear you're uh, sponsoring a co-ed soccer team and the goalie on that team has a tremendous head of hair. Yes. That's all I know. Tremendous head of hair. Um, and an awful sense of how to put together a sponsorship package. And a, <laughs> <laughs> and a ball microphone. Yeah. Well, on that note, now you've insulted me three times, <laughs> and that's the magic cue to end the podcast. But thank you for your time, and that was great. All right, Pat. Thank you, brother. <laughs>